0: We're beginning a four-week series uh, on Advent and it'll culminate on December 23rd with a big Christmas celebration. So if you're in town that day, we'll look forward to seeing you here. We've entitled this series, The Star, The Cross, and The Crown. You know, so often when it comes to Christmas and to the Christmas story, the problem is not that we haven't heard it. The problem is that we've heard it so often and that it's become so familiar to us that we simply rush into it as if we already have been there and done that. We find ourselves in a hurry each year to rush into Christmas, and we miss the significance and the wonder and the magnitude of Emmanuel, God with us. It it takes us slowing down in order to meditate, in order to meet with God. Sometimes we become so familiar with a story or a person or an event that it loses its meaning. The sacred becomes simple or ordinary. Paul Tripp in his Advent devotional, Come Let Us Adore Him, says it this way. When we're familiar with things, we tend not to celebrate them as we once did. Familiarity tends to rob us of our wonder. And here's what's important about this. What has captured the wonder of our hearts will control the way we live. What's captured the wonder of our hearts will control the way we live. Today we're going to see a fascinating story. It's wrapped in a shroud of mystery and obscurity. It's the story of the wise men. They step into the life of Jesus for only a brief moment and then they're gone again. But they teach us a great deal about God's character and the plan of God. The wise men lead us to one of the most meaningful principles in all of the Bible. The story of the wise men illustrates a point that we so often forget. And the point is this God desires to be found. God desires to be found. He doesn't play hide and seek, He's not an absent father, He's near, He's involved, and He's personal. And he understands. And the wise men teach us, their story teaches us, that he uses culture and what seems familiar in order to communicate the divine in the wise men's lives and in our own. So let's look back at this story beginning in verses 1 and 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. If you know this story, you most likely do. Joseph and Mary had traveled um, a pretty far distance for someone who's pregnant, about 85 to 100 miles from Galilee all the way to Bethlehem for a census. That was enough to make any pregnant woman going to labor and they show up and as you know there's no room to be found, no room in the inn and so most likely Jesus was born in what we believe to be something like a cave where animals would be sheltered and taken care of and magi from the east, we don't know exactly where, most likely uh, Persia or Babylon would be um, good places to guess they they were people who they were skilled in philosophy and in medicine. They were a unique group of men. Uh, they were skilled in natural science. They were soothsayers of a type. They would interpret dreams. They offered advice to kings and those in power. And they see this star that rises. Now, the stars were very important in this day. People looked to astrology believing that they could foretell the future from the stars. They believed that a person... Their destiny was settled by it, the star under which he or she were born. And so they see this star that rises and it's a new star in the sky. A new star was believed in history to indicate that it would herald the birth of a significant person in the land over which the star shone. And so they understood how the stars would pursue direct, very predictable courses they help to represent the order of the universe. But suddenly this brilliant star appears. And in the unvarying order of the heavens, that unvarying order is broken by a star, a special phenomena, in a way that it would appear that God is breaking into His order, announcing something special is taking place. And so the wise men take notice. They seem to have seen the star at the time of Jesus' birth, which prompted them to begin a journey. They're not there at the time of Jesus' birth. It seems that they saw the star and began their journey to search for this new predicted king. Don't miss this. In order that they might worship him. Now pick up in verse 3. And in verse 3, the story takes a very dark turn if you know history. In verse 3... The story gets really dark here if you know anything about the life of Herod. He was troubled, to say the least. And in verse 3, it's probably one of the weakest translations in all of the New Testament. When it says, when when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Let me paint the picture for you. Wise men who give kings in other lands advice... Kings who might be future enemies of the Roman Empire show up in order to ask King Herod where the real king might be born. Doesn't sound like a very good scenario, does it? And Herod was a troubled man. Probably a better translation would have been to say insanely suspicious or terrified And it goes on to say in all Jerusalem with him, which is really interesting, most likely referring to the many religious leaders throughout Jerusalem, likely who Herod had appointed, who were all part of his cohort. Caesar Augustus made a famous pun. And we we know the most about Herod's life from Josephus' writings. But there was a famous pun that Uh, Josephus recorded in his antiquities and it's well known that Caesar who was Caesar Augustus who at the time was over the Roman Empire and who had appointed Herod made the famous pun to say he would rather be Herod's pig than his son and it was true unfortunately Herod was cruel and paranoid especially in his later years he was known for great building projects but he ruled from fear as much as from vision He created an extremely vicious and hostile environment. Anyone who was close to him wound up dead. And I mean anyone. His brother-in-law, his wives, his sons, hundreds of family and servants wound up dead. When Herod was close to death, this is how distorted and twisted his mind was. When he's close to death, he attempted suicide unsuccessfully. He knew that um, death was approaching. And rumors of the attempt caused loud wailing throughout the palace. Well, at that time, Herod's son had been imprisoned by his paranoid father. He interpreted the screams to mean that Herod Herod had actually died. So he attempted to bribe some of the jailers to let him out. That was reported to Herod. His son was executed immediately. That's Herod. He feared after that suicide attempt that his death would be met with joy in Judea. So he took the hippodrome, which was that area where they would race chariots around it. It was kind of a sports complex. He took the hippodrome and ordered his his servants to take the most well-respected men from all the villages throughout Judea and to lock them inside that arena. And he ordered that they would all be slaughtered at the moment of his death. In a determination to say that there will be no joy on the day of my death, I will guarantee that there will be weeping throughout Judea. That's the man under which Jesus was born. And we pick up in verses four through six and we see that that Herod calls together um, in his state of being terrified. He calls together the pastors and seminary professors of his day, the chief priests and the scribes. So those were in charge of leading worship, the chief priests and then the scribes, those who had given their lives to to copying the Scriptures and interpreting them and writing them and knowing them well. And he calls them together. And we see that Herod was a terrible Jew. He was half Idumean and half Jewish. He was a terrible Jew. Um, He didn't know any of the most common prophecies. Micah 5-2 was one of the most common prophecies of his day. And in Micah 5-2, we read, "...and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah." For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Several hundred years before Jesus would be born, this prophecy had been written about a little town called Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem meant house of bread. It was not an unknown town to the Jewish people, but it was very small and seemingly insignificant. Um, Rachel, the wife of Jacob, had been buried there. Boaz took Ruth in Bethlehem, which led to the line of Jesse, which would lead to Jesus. Samuel anointed David king at Bethlehem. So a significant but very small place. Now, on a, on a side note, one thing that is interesting, just reading through one, one prophecy out of many's that, many prophecies that would point to Jesus, is very interesting for, um, I, I talked with someone that I met just this last week, and he was challenging the fact that Jesus was more than a man. He believed that Jesus was someone who took on the prophecies that were stated about the coming Messiah. And that history had built this huge uh, dynamic story about someone who was just a man. It's interesting that if that were the case, that Jesus just happened to be born in the little, small, insignificant town That hundreds of years earlier, it had been prophesied that the Messiah would come from. In verses 7 through 8, let's continue. When Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship. It's really interesting at this moment in the story. We kind of know how it's going to play out if we've read it before, and we kind of know that, like, we have the wise men in our nativity scenes at home. But um, we, many people, know that the wise men most likely weren't there at the time of Jesus' birth. It says that they found him in a home. Um, That he was living in. So it's most likely anywhere from a year to two years after his birth. They've made this long journey. But it's very interesting to see how all the characters in the story respond. I mean, we know the story, and so we kind of let them fall into their places and we find this respect for the wise men, but we seem to overlook the scribes and the priest. Herod responds with hatred. Herod is hostile. Uh, Herod, we will find out later, goes back. And when he determines that Jesus was most likely about two years old or younger, when he determined what time the wise men had seen the star, he ordered all babies, all males, two years old and younger, destroyed. Historians believe that probably would have been, in a small town like this, 20 to 30 young boys who had been killed. That's Herod's response. The chief priests and the scribes, I think I'm most baffled by them. Those who were closest to this prophecy. Those who were supposedly righteous. Those who would have been the closest to the scriptures were seemingly indifferent. They shared where the prophecy said that Messiah would be born, but they, they just moved on. But the wise men, they responded differently. Look at verses 9-12. through 12. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their own, to their own country by another way. I'm going to be honest in saying, I have no idea how this star worked. No idea. I've read a lot, um, I've read a lot of Jewish writers. Uh, I've read a lot of different commentaries, and I don't understand how this star worked. In the same way that the sun supposedly stood still for Joshua in the Old Testament, I don't understand it other than a miracle. What they had previously seen began to move until it stopped over the house where Jesus was living with Mary and Joseph. How did that work? We don't know. Uh, some scholars believe the light that appeared to be a star was actually the Shekinah glory of the Lord. It, it would be uncom- that wouldn't be uncommon for a God to offer direction. We see it all throughout the book of Exodus. He appeared before Israel in a pillar of cloud by, nay- by day and a pillar of fire by night as He led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They followed His Shekinah glory as He led them. But no matter the explanation, don't miss the fact that God desired to be found. God desired to be found. The overarching story of the Bible is not the story of the desire of man to be with God. It's the very opposite. The overarching story of the Bible is the story of a father who desires to be known By his children. The most frequent promise throughout the Bible. Is not I will forgive you. Even though God offers to forgive us of our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The most frequent promise of the Bible. Is not I will save you from hell. Even though we sang a song earlier. That says that because Emmanuel has come. We will be saved from hell. Jesus promises his life after death. But that's not the most frequent promise of the Bible. The most frequent promise of the Bible is I will be with you. It's a promise that God offers to us. God shows up in the middle of our world and he initiates a relationship. I hope you'll hear that in this Advent season. I hope you'll be reminded of the fact that God desires to draw near to you. Isaiah 9 points us to that in a prophecy. Isaiah 9 verse 2, the prophet would write, hundreds of years before Jesus, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness on them has light shined. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. These are all the things that God wants to be to you. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Peace. The gospel writer Matthew would go on to say in Matthew four sixteen, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Most people think they've come to God. That's most people's general thoughts. As if it were up to them to find God and to determine truth. But the truth is that God is constantly seeking a relationship with us. And He's using people. He's using our circumstances. He's using events. He's even using the prayers that you pray for your friends and family and co-workers and those who don't yet know God. And He's even using the prayers that others pray for you in order to draw you close. God desires to be found. He's glorious. And listen, folks, God loves to be worshipped. You say, why does He desire to be found? Because He loves to be worshipped. But how unusual that those who are most familiar, those who are closest to the prophecy, were unmoved, even distressed, even terrified. It's a warning to us. It's a warning to the church. John chapter 1 verse 9 and 10 gives witness to this. Both in Jesus' day and today we're offered this warning. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. All around us, I want you to hear this in this Advent season. All around us, the vast majority of friends and family and coworkers that we do life with don't follow Jesus. I'm going to say that again. All around us, the vast majority of people that we live with do not follow Jesus. They may know who He is, they may even show up at church at Christmas time, but they've never surrendered their lives to Him as Lord. They might give Jesus a nod at Christmas, but they don't worship him throughout the year. For them, Christmas is more about a feeling than it is about a person. And one of the most incredible parts of this story is the fact that the wise men believed, even though they didn't know the whole story, they probably didn't have good theology. I'm sure they had a lot of questions. They started reading the Bible, the prophecies of Daniel, most likely. Daniel had ruled in Persia. He had written of the coming Messiah in great detail. And it's an encouragement to each of us that we would continue searching no matter where we are. Whether we've been a follower of Jesus for decades or whether we're just beginning to ask questions about Him and we still have more questions than answers. This story is an encouragement for us to continue searching because God desires to be found. God is a God who desires to show mercy. He didn't come to be with the righteous, but he came to show mercy to those who are sinners. And I want to encourage you to continue searching no matter where you are. God cares more about being found than we care about finding him. He will continue to meet us in the middle of our world in order to offer direction he promises us that hebrews 11:6 shows us that promise and without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to god must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him do you believe that that god rewards those who seek him he rewards us with his presence he rewards us by being the Prince of Peace, by being wonderful, by being a counselor, by being a mighty, a mighty God. We want to help you in your searching. Um, you guys have heard us talk about the CBR journals uh, over and over again over the last weeks. And uh, next Sunday, we're going to begin selling the CBR journal. It stands for Community Bible Reading Journals. And it's a plan that's been developed to read a chapter a day, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. The journal walks you through a process to to journal about God's Word, all for the purpose that we would meet with Jesus daily. And our hope is that the entire church throughout 2019 might might make that commitment to, to meet with Jesus daily, Not out of a legalistic mindset, not out of a tradition, not not out of a religious mindset in order to check off a box, but in order to set aside time, priority time, just like we would with a spouse. You know, you look forward to a Friday night when your spouse says, hey, let's go spend some time together. Let's go do something intentional And in the same way, we're asking, what would it be like if if each morning we said for just a few minutes, maybe 10 minutes, we're going to start just by spending some time with Jesus daily to be reminded of his goodness, to be reminded that he is wonderful counselor, that he is mighty God. The journal helps to walk us through the word of God, all for the purpose of meeting with Jesus daily, to see him in the scriptures To behold Him and to become more like Him. Because at the end of the day, we believe this life is best lived when we live it like Jesus would live it. And His Word tells us how to do that. The wise men, they teach us to continue searching in the middle of our questions. To continue trusting in the middle of our doubt. I want to go back to some of the things that maybe you wrote on your card earlier It probably seemed really weird, by the way, that I came up and kind of disturbed the music time in order to ask you to enter into a place of pain in your life. It probably seemed odd and a bit unnatural. Some of you probably thought, well, that's a little weird. Some of you may not have liked it. Some of you may have just said, I'm not writing anything down. And that's okay. Because we're not used to lamenting. We're not used to sitting in our pain. And we're not used to being comfortable with grief. Because who is? But Advent offers us a time to see Jesus in his full experience. To understand that yes, God with us. Emmanuel, he came and God is in our hearts and there are some struggles and some pain and some doubt and some suffering that will be undone until Jesus comes again. That is the full picture of the narrative of God with us. It is here and not yet. And if we don't enter into God coming again and sit in our pain, we will be disappointed with Jesus on a daily basis And if we are disappointed with Jesus on a daily basis, it will only be an amount of time or a season before we walk away from His church. And we will be like some of our parents and some of our friends and some of those who seem to be be so close and so passionate to Jesus. But then something went wrong and they walked away. And Jesus calls us to enter into a faith and into a relationship in which that relationship is growing and we need Him daily. And we also enter into a time of eagerly waiting with patience knowing that He is coming again. And we can rejoice in the fact that there will be a day in which all things will be made new. The wise men remind us that God desires to be found. Jesus entered into our sin-stained world on a rescue mission to save us from our sins. And we see illustrated how Jesus' rescue mission will extend to the ends of the earth. It's not a question. It will extend to the ends of the earth, to all people and all nations, to the entire world one day, worshiping Him. Wise men give us hope that just maybe... We too can find God right now, even in the midst of a busy Christmas season. Wise men remind us that those with eyes to see joyfully behold His glory. Those with eyes to see joyfully behold His glory. Earlier, you took that card, and I want you to take it back out. You took time to enter into a time of grief or suffering or lament and to write down that discouragement, that disappointment, that sorrow, that pain. If you would, take that card and now flip it over. How, and, and on your card, now write, how does the light of Jesus Christ breaking into our world give you hope? How does Jesus' story offer hope to you in the midst of your lament as you see Jesus, yes, coming to earth and coming to our hearts and then one day coming again. How does that gospel story change everything? Take a moment and write that down. If you're comfortable with it, in just a moment, we're going to come forward and We're going to take time to worship Jesus through communion. We're going to take time to remember His suffering and His perfect sacrifice for us, His death in which the Father poured out judgment upon Jesus so that we could be found righteous. We're going to remember His body broken for us on the cross. We're going to remember the fact that He didn't stay dead but that God raised Him to life. We invite all of you who are followers of Jesus to come forward. The way we remember that is that we take a piece of the bread and we tear it off. And as we dip it in the juice, it reminds us of Jesus' shed blood for us. And as we eat it, we take part in this physical remembering of Jesus' sacrifice for us. As you do that, if you, only if you feel comfortable. When you think about the way that the gospel and Advent changes everything... Feel free to stop by the star. There's push pins that are over here. And to put your card on the star is reminding us as a way of remembering the way that Advent has changed your life, the way that's changed our life, the way that Advent has changed the world. The star that points us to the fact that God desires to be found. And that God is with us. He is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Thanks be to God for His amazing gift. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the time of Advent. That we can set aside as a church. God, thank You that as followers of You, that we can remember Your coming. You're coming to earth, you're coming to our hearts, and the fact that you are coming again and you will make all things new. Father, would you give each person who's here faith to believe, to enter into this season, to enter into the wonder of God with us, which doesn't stop in a manger, but God with us means in every moment of our life, even in the worst of our pain, even in the worst of our suffering, even in the midst of our grief, in this moment today, even in the midst of our doubt, God, would you give us faith to believe that not only do you understand and not only do you see us, but that you are with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, thank you for your indescribable gift. It's in your name that we pray and that we worship together at your table. Amen.